Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. Join us here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock, or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. Christine Gacharna is the woman you need when your high schooler is trying to get into college. It says so in her book entitled, Write My College Application Essay, Write, as in R-I-G-H-T. So you have mostly private students now, but I'll bet you have a lot of experience as an English teacher. I do. Yeah, I do. So I taught at the University of Phoenix for six years. You know, I wouldn't have quit, but they closed our campus. Um, I was at Baton Rouge and um, New Orleans campuses, and it, it, it was all tied to the, the Affordable Education Act, and the salaries in Louisiana were really low, and huh. it, was, it was really unfortunate and kind of a mess because those students needed us. I mean, you've got, you know, writing, organizing, polishing a college application essay. I mean, talk about, you know, students in areas like that. They they don't get that kind of expertise. Yeah, that was it was just unfortunate. But then we ended up moving back to Northern Virginia. And um, um, I just I didn't I don't know. I just didn't really pursue it because by then I was doing essay here and I just was kind of working on my own. So. Well, I would imagine your your book, Write My College Application Essay, I would I would think parents are, you know, help my kid, help my kid, help my kid, because there's definitely a method to this madness. Am I right? Yes, yes. And it's, um, you know, it's yesterday I got a call from a parent um, and I talked to her for an hour. She's, you know, there's all this concern and chaos in their home right now because her daughter does not have a 4.0 whatever and is she even going to get into a college and and that's that's the fears that people are staring down and and you know the thing is is that there's not only one college for a kid you know like they come to me with these list of gucci schools you know in july and by the time it's november and they're actually applying i feel like you know in the work that i do with them in addition to the writing instruction there's a lot of strategy and planning for their future because I, 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 I get them to try to understand, you know, do you, do you want to ask your parents to shell out $500,000 for a bachelor's degree? Or can you get to where you want to be and have some of that money left? You know, maybe you could negotiate a car or maybe they could help you with a down payment on a house, you know, at some point. Or, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways to get through college, but there's only one way for parents to retire. <laughs> I could talk to you for hours. We we lived we lived in a very affluent area of North Jersey when my kids mm-hmm. were in middle school. And I'm a news reporter and I was doing stories at the time. Everybody in this area, my kid has to go to Brown, my kid has to go to Harvard. Columbia. Yeah, like Columbia. Mm-hmm. I'm like 
uh, uh, my kid just has to be happy. Like, I don't understand <laughs> why is there all this pressure? You know, we got criticized because we would go away with our family for the summer. We would take time off and it was like, oh, they're not going to be in traveling baseball. They're not going to be in. You right. know, my kid pitches year round. And then I was doing stories on the first pediatric doctor to ever treat stress injuries in children once only seen in professional athletes repetitive yes. stress injury and it was like yes. the same thing was happening with college like my kid has to go to the best college then I was at this really elite high school sitting with this mom and her daughter and they were talking about how you know they have to be in all of these extracurricular activities and they have to take all of these advanced classes in order to get and her her daughter was suffering so much anxiety she couldn't go to school anymore and yes. she tried to kill herself. Yes. And it wasn't until her daughter tried to hurt herself that they said, then we took her out of the advanced program. It was like, what, yeah. are, what are we doing? And now, you know, not my kids, you know, I had one son who went to um, a state university. And it was like, <laughs> he went to a state university. <laughs> oh right and the you know parents are so concerned they're embarrassed to say well yeah my kid's at a state university he he became a lawyer but he he saved the money to spend on his law school degree thank you not his undergrad thank you yeah that's 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 how you do it and you know i live in northern virginia where there's they have this pathways program where you can go to Northern Virginia Community College for two years, and then you're guaranteed admission to any of the state participating state universities, which is all of them. So if you were hell bent on going to UV or getting your degree from UVA, you could spend a fraction of the cost for your first two years, just, you know, at the community college, then get into UVA, get your degree, you know, but but these kids, they're, they're like, oh, that would be just be the kiss of death in my high school yes. to go to the community college. Yes, same here with the, in, in the community that we live in now. It's called the STARS program. And it's all about the essays. It's all about the essays now because haven't they removed a lot of the... Um... Yes, so the ACT and SAT scores are optional. And, you know, in some ways, at, at first that angered me. Um, because I feel like you have to have some sort of benchmark for kids to be able to demonstrate that they can do college level work. But at the same time, the way that the ACT and SAT are administered and, and, and presented in this country, it really does give a lot of students a disadvantage. And, you know, students who are, who have the means to retake the test several times can raise their score. But students do, who don't have the money for that, they have to go with their first score. And, and so, and that's when the essay becomes an even bigger variable because they have to, all right, so I had one student come to me. She lived in um, Seattle and she really wanted to go to the UW and she got waitlisted. So she came to me and she, she didn't come to me to help with the essay. She came to me when she got waitlisted. And she said, will you help me write a letter of appeal? And I said, well, sure, but we're not gonna call it an appeal. We're gonna call it a letter of continued interest. 
And I said, tell me a little bit about you and your high school life. So she starts talking to me. So she's not only a first generation college student, she's a first generation high school graduate. She's the eldest, she's the eldest of three girls. She had a 3.8 while she was a varsity athlete and working 25 hours a week, not for her own spending money, but to help offset like family expenses. And I said, was any of this in your essay? And she said, no. And I said, okay, well, we gotta, we gotta get this worked in. So we wrote her letter of continued interest and by the end of the week, she had a full ride. Of course she did. Yeah. So is this what your book attempts to do is to help students focus on what sets them apart? Yes, focus on what sets them apart. So my my concern is not all students can get in front of me. So that student I just told you about, the UW student, she didn't have the means to pay me, but her boyfriend's mother did. And so if I had had that book, she could have at least maybe gone through the book. I don't know. I don't know yet because the book just came out and I don't have any any testimonials from students who've used it and not been in front of me while they were using it. But my my goal is, is to get the information out there and make it available to them. So if they work through it step by step, theoretically, I think they could. I think they could get some of this done on their own at least it would get them thinking in the right direction or in a better direction than they were going before now you and i have just spent 10 minutes talking about students that are highly motivated what about what about you know the average ordinary everyday student who wants to go to college maybe doesn't have the greatest writing skills because they're not in the greatest school district yes how do how do we reach yes, that? So that that's kind of what my um that that's kind of my mission here is to change the way we're teaching writing in this country. Because these students are so um you know that they're, they're terrified of getting back the paper that's all marked up with red ink. Yes. And what I tell my students is when you're when you're working on an essay and you're spending all your time fretting over perfecting each sentence before you can move on to the next one. Essentially, that's the equivalent of spreading toothpaste on your toothbrush and then taking a bite of cheesecake and then putting that toothbrush in your mouth and swirling around the toothpaste and the cheesecake. <laughs> it's just totally counterproductive. You don't accomplish either goal and it's gross and yucky and messy. Right. So why would you do that? Why would you just not... What, you know, like, so I'm trying to, so the formula, the communicate, navigate, punctuate formula is designed to get to, and I have to break this muscle memory in students because they're so concerned about, they spend 80% of their time, and that's also my 80-20 rule of writing, because they spend 80% of their time focused on grammar, spelling, and, fun and punctuation, when that's only 10% of the essay. Hmm. And when I can get instructors on board with grading that way, it changes the entire system. And that's what happened at the University of Phoenix is my, my students were nursing, business, or criminal justice students. Um, and, and my faculty peers didn't want to be English teachers. So we had to devise a system of streamlining the way all of us were approaching grading and evaluating the student writing, but also the way I was teaching it. Because 
you know, at the University of Phoenix, there's no scantrons. Every, every assessment was an essay. Wow. So if they couldn't get through the essay, they weren't going to be successful in the program. And that was my concern was getting them successfully through the program. Because when I would pull them aside, they could tell me what had happened in class. I knew they were learning, but what was frustrating me is they were getting bad grades on their essays. So it looked as if they weren't learning, but they, but they knew the material. They just couldn't, they just couldn't translate what it was that they knew onto the page because they, they were white knuckling. They, they were so fearful from high school of all those red marks mm-hmm. that they, so, so students typically come to me either as I'm a really good writer or I'm a really bad writer. And when you're in an undergraduate classroom, it doesn't matter because you're not writing the great American novel. Right. It's, there's nothing creative about it. It's academic writing. It's a, it's a formula. It's, it's a technical skill and technical skills. So I use, I use analogies of flying a lot because flying is a technical skill. Using a, a camera in manual mode is a technical skill. I talk about a lot of technical skills because this is something they can learn. And so the bad writers, when I say that, you can literally see the light bulb go off and they're so excited. And the good writers fight me immediately because they've coasted along for a long time on just innate talents. But in order to level up, they have to get away from that because because their muscle memory is still with that perfection. Right. And when you're focused on the perfection, you're not focused on your content and you can't do academic writing unless you're really honed in on your content. What are you trying to say? Right. And so these students would come to me, the the good writers, the 4.08 student or the 4.8 or you know whatever, those kinds of students would come to me with these essays that sounded really nice, but you have no idea what you just read. Mm -hmm. And if I ask them, what are you trying to say here? They can't tell me in a sentence what they're trying to say. Right. So if you can't tell me in a sentence what your answer to this prompt is, I don't know that that admissions officer is going to find it either. If you can't find it, how are they supposed to find it? How is your book different from all of the other college essay books that are out there? There's a million because, of them. Uh, yeah, there are. There are. And I think mine is different because I'm just using the college application essay as a stepping stone to teaching academic writing at the undergraduate level. Okay. So are, is it aimed at teachers? So I'm hoping, I'm hoping to expand. So the sequel is called Write My Essay. And write my essay is all of the rhetorical modes and all of the formulas and how to make all of those come together, whether you're in a high school classroom or in an undergraduate classroom. Um, And then I have write my essay for kids. I've used that on Montessori students who are um, elementary and middle school. I've used it. I've used it on both. And then I want to make a version for teachers so that especially like biology teachers, engineering teachers, nursing instructors, so that they can stop, they can get rid of their frustration of, I don't want to be an English teacher. I don't know if me or I comes first. I don't know if I, you know, I I don't want to want to do all that. What I want to focus on is 
are they learning what they need to learn to go out and 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 draw blood or diagnose a patient right. or 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 you know kind of bring down the tensions in a in a situation where you've got you know law enforcement involved right Right. They need to be learning the content of what they need to be learning. I, I think it's interesting that the name of your book is Write My College Application Essay, R-I-G-H-T. That should be, yeah. that's an eye catcher, right? <laughs> that's the, that's the, because my students know how to write. They can write. What, what they don't know is how to take the nebulous, arbitrary things about writing that they that that makes them fearful and turn it into a technical skill that makes them successful okay fair enough yeah now you must be talking about this I, ha I have gone to the private schools and the private schools are interested in me they say things to me like wow this is really great what you're doing for high school juniors but uh what you're talking here is higher level curriculum de development and i i'd really like to get you in front of my sixth graders before they take their sols so the private schools have really been on board with me. The public schools, I think they feel like I'm stepping on their toes. Like maybe, I, maybe they're not teaching what they, you, you know, and, and that's not what I'm doing at all. I'm, I'm taking what they've already taught the students and I'm trying to build a bridge so that the students can level up. But I am out there talking about it. I, um, there's, I, I was at a networking event this morning. I'm, uh, I'm the speaker at a networking event Thursday morning. Um, I, I am out. I am out talking to business leaders about what I'm doing so that they can help, they can help spread the word to, cause really it's the, it's the parents who want me, but I also, there's every year I take on students there. And most of the time the students come to me. Like one time a student came to me, this was two years ago. And she said, my mom's an alcoholic. Actually, I've, ha I've had several oh. in that position. My mom's an alcoholic. There's no way she's going to pay for me to do this, but I got to get out of here. I, I got to go to college. W will you help me? So every year I take on my, you know, I take on as many as I can take people, students who can't pay me. Um, and that's when I got the idea for the book, because at least if I had the book, I could, I have something I can give them. That's a great, that's a great way to go. Yeah, I think you take this one step at a time because you're going to help one student who's going to tell another student who's going to tell another student. The only thing I'm thinking about while you're talking is can students reach out to you? Is there a way to, you know, email you or they can cut? Yeah, they can contact me through my website. There's a contact button. They can contact me there. Um, and I and I and I do write them back. I, I wanted to put something in the book, but I didn't get it written before it went to print about Hey, if you bought my book, use this link to reach out to me. You know, that that would have that would have helped them get a direct line to me, but I didn't do that. But but the website's in the book and there's a contact form on there and you know, the students who really want me find a way to to find to you. find me. All right, what's your yeah. website? Let's get it out there. Um it's s a c u r e s s a y c u r e com sounds good you're doing you're doing great work Christine oh thank really you. really good stuff yeah I wish I knew you when I was trying to get 
<laughs> I was such a doofus. I wish I knew me when I was trying to go I to know. college because I, I did not you know, care. I was a first generation college student and I didn't understand anything I was getting into. Me neither. I was like, whatever, yeah. I'll go to the, you know, my parents were like, so uh, it's August. Were you, were you going to college? I went, I'm going to Philly <laughs> to do theater. And my father said, uh, you're going to a state school. Your mother went there. Your sister went there. You're going there or you're you're cut off. <laughs> that's how I or, or you're paying for it yourself yeah. and yeah. I was like oh yeah. that's how seriously I took it so wow we've come a long way <laughs> we have we have and you know I, I often tell students when they get in front of me look the way I see it you've got three options enlisted enrolled or employed and and you maybe need to do you might have to do two of them at once so which where do you want to go yeah well thank you so much yeah. what a, I, I what a pleasure talking to you yeah, it was fun. It was fun talking with you too, and thank you for everything you're doing to help me. All right, you have a great day. Okay, you too. Thank you. Bye. You know, it's been said a good friend is like a four leaf clover, hard to find and lucky to have. And Carrie Jones is so lucky. Her friends inspired her to write a book entitled The Tablecloth. Now, Carrie, you were also lucky to have a job you loved for thirty years, right, with the airlines. And then what happened? It just seemed when COVID hit, I. I went to work one day, everybody in that building was sick. And I take care of my mom. My mom is 97. I was so afraid of, of, you know, bringing something home and making her sick. So you retired yes. for the sake of your family. Yes. I, you know, so many people did that during COVID, you know? Yes, but I took the opportunity to start writing. Well, I mean, is this something you've always wanted to do? Yeah, I have. um, I started writing well over a little over 10 years ago as my first manuscript didn't quite, you know, take off the ground. But I just kept going and kept going. Like, I love the feeling of writing and would hopes and pray that someday I would get a book published. So, voila, it happened. Well, you know what? Your your title, The Tablecloth. Mm Mm-hmm tells a million stories every stain on it every glass of wine that was spilled (laughs) well I myself have you know my circle of friends and we always get together with a table full of food and five six seven hours of laughter and talking sharing our stories praying much like the girls like in the book But I just think that is one of the most beautiful things in anywhere I've ever gone in this world. Um, There's always a table, even in a restaurant or a beer garden. um, There's always a table full of uh, friends laughing and having a good time. And you feel the closeness. You feel the warmth, the love. And that language is just universal everywhere you know it's just a table full of food fun and friends and every stain tear stain gravy stain wine stain they all tell a story always got to have a lace any particular kind of tablecloth well I, i have a couple that i have you know sort of inherited from my mom and they're always a beautiful sort of french um cream color lace cloth and i love decorating it whatever the theme is you know thanksgiving christmas a graduation a birth you know whatever the theme is i love just decorating the table and filling it with food i I, that is one of the best things that i do in life (laughs) so your friends inspired this book 
I, I would have to say yes. I would have to say yes. They did play a part in my um, mind thinking how I feel like towards them, like my idea of friendship, how I feel about friendship and like the love that I had for them. You know, it was just great inspiration and it's vice versa. It works two ways. I know my girls love me too. <laughs> it's not easy. You don't just sit down and write a book and say, okay, that's it. You know, it takes a long time. It takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of energy. Was there something oh. in particular that happened that made you say, that's it. I'm doing this. Well, actually, uh, most of my friends I've had more than half my life. So, uh, but during actually during COVID, when COVID hit, when the first day of quarantine hit, um, you know, everybody in the world had a hard time getting adjusted. But as time went on, not be able to hang out and um, go out and be together and do our usual thing, which is sitting at a table, you know, having a good time, it sort of you know, it began to bother me and it saddened me and we were all sad because we could not, you know, sit together, come together. And I just started sitting down writing about it. And I came up with all of it. I didn't want to tell their secrets, so I came up with these fictitious um, characters, but it just all came out of not being able to be together for two years over two years doing the um quarantine season you know i always joke when anybody tells me you know i'll say well what was your inspiration and they say covid i'm like i'm gonna do we should just do a whole show of nothing but books that were inspired by covid because so many people waited so long and did so many other things and if if it weren't for covid they would have not had the time they might not have even had the inspiration because they wouldn't have had the room in their head to let it in because you know we were so busy everybody's so busy and covid really made us kind of slow down and take stock in our lives right absolutely it gave you the time yeah and that's what it gave me it gave me the time to do this so who 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 do we meet in this book we meet the main character, B.J. Sloan, Pia, Lester, Deborah, Banna, Nitha, Brocklin, Cody, Elle, and Pamela Moonface. <laughs> the girls of her life. Their love, their spirituality, their strong faith in God. But what they all vow is to always keep their secrets. All your girlfriends have to keep your secrets. You have to have someone to talk to. You talk to your girlfriends, but you must always keep their secrets. And these girls vow to take them to their grave. It's a journey that you take with these girls from their adolescent years on into their later matured years. And it's just their life playing out, how they have always supported each other, how they've always taken care of each other, and how they're always stayed together. Well, one of the girls, Deborah, after um, getting married and having her first child, she went through an a, a awful awful time with her child, and all the girls got together and it took, you know, months and months, 
but they gathered around her. They got her the help that she needed, which a lot of us don't. Um, mental health is a big thing these days, um, and it's finally getting a lot of um, attention, not as much as it should, but you need people around you when you're going through um, mental difficulties, and um, you need people around you in your world to help you through it, to talk through it, to help get the help that you may be ashamed to get yourself on your own. And these girls walked with her every single day of her life with her child until she finally broke through. And a lot of times you you don't know how to ask for help. You don't, you're embarrassed to ask for help or you don't, you know, you don't think you have a problem, you know, at all. But yes, something is there, but these girls are, are their, their thread that, you know, has sewn them together just they're in each other's souls. You know, they feel each other, they bring each other through, and it's just a beautiful, just beautiful stories. Even their tragedies, you know, there is no such thing as a beautiful tragedy, but to have that kind of support in your life is just a beautiful thing, whether things are bad or things are good. It's like when you pray, you, you're supposed to pray when things are not only bad, but when things are good as well. And that's what these girls are all about. Their, their faith, their um, supportiveness, their resourcefulness to be able to help each other when they're down. And no judgments? Well, when you have 10 people, 10 minds in the room, not all 10 minds are going to agree on this uh, one thing. But one of my favorite lines um, in my book is we may not be perfect people, but we make for perfect friends. So meaning that you, we may not disagree, but we're just all about helping each other. If there's one weak link in the chain, then the others, you have nine other minds and hearts and souls that, you know, can bring us together and help us through. Everyone's not going to agree on everything. No, but how many friendships are destroyed? Because women can be a judgmental group, you know, women can, you know, like, I don't think you should stay with that guy. He treated you this way, that way. And I don't think I can be friends with you anymore if you stay with that person. Right. There always is that element. But BJ, my character, BJ Sloan, always knows that her friend, true friendships are gifts from God. And that is how I feel. Like true friendships are gifts from God. And these girls, even though they may disagree, you do have that element um, talking about, you know, the boyfriend, talking about um, the husband or the family. But it's not always, you know, what you say is how you say it. You know, they respect, they, they're, you know, receptive to each other's opinions. Um, they respect each other's opinions. Um, and they accept whether they agree or not, you know, they accept each other's opinions. And then you you just keep moving on. You don't stop and say, I didn't like what she said, you know, and carry that bad feeling with you. Right. You, you know, you accept it. You talk it out, talk it out over a table full of food. And, you know, you, you work it out. You, you can always work it out. 
Maybe it's the food. What kind of food are you serving? <laughs> we do get together once a month because we have game we have game night once a month. And once a month we get together and it's every, it's someone's house every month, someone's different house every month. And we just have a smorgasbord of one of everything, you know, and it is just the best. That That's just the best of times. It's just sitting around for hours and hours, eating, drinking, laughing. You know, so I, I, again, I do do that in my life and these girls, like it's in their lives as well. <laughs> I mean, I just think it's a testament that you have known, you have been this close to the same 10 women all of your life yeah. since adolescence. Mm -hmm. That's amazing to me. Yeah. Well, that kind of inspiration, my mom and her oldest friend, who is also 97, they have been friends for about 75 years. And they still talk to each other. Her friend lives in uh, Florida, but they still talk to each other throughout the year. And I just think it's just such a beautiful thing that friendship can last that long. And you're talking this up, aren't you? Well, I do have a, a couple of book signings lined up. I have my first one on the 15th of July. I'm having a big book signing slash party. <laughs> of course you are with tablecloths <laughs> with with tablecloths. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> Red wine. Um, so I'm hosting that on the beginning of August, beginning towards mid of August. Um, I have invited to speak at one of the um, colleges. Um, one of my cousins is he works with a woman empowerment group. Um, she asked me to speak um, in the fall when they resume. Um, so I have a couple of things. My churches you know, want to do a book signing. Um, so I have um, a couple of things lined up that I'm very excited about. I, I, I think it's interesting that you're talking to a women's empowerment group because we need each other. There's too many men out there who can't wait to bring us down. They don't want us to make the same amount of money. They don't want us to be in positions of power. I they're scared. We are so afraid of a female president. We are so afraid of a female leader. You know what I mean? It's like we need each other. So let's let's hope that, you know. But it is possible. It takes time. Yes. It definitely takes time. And it takes effort. Any relationship that you have, you, you work on your job relationships, you work on your spiritual relationships, you work on your um, your your um, spousal relationships. It, it, like everything else, it takes time. But you have to have that kind of understanding and accepting. You have to accept people as they are. I accept my friends as they are. BJ accepts all all of her girlfriends as they are, but it is possible. It is very possible, doable, and it should be done. I think the world would be a happier place if you had great friends. <laughs> I know, I know. And I mean, with all of these female connections, there's no shortage of, of uh, book talks you'll be doing. And I hope not. <laughs> I think I you're going to do well. I think you're going to do great. <laughs> I hope so because I, you know, the um, very I'm nervous because this is my first rodeo, so um, I'm very nervous. But I am focused, and I want to um, get this get this message out 
you know, to the world. Good. You know? Well, well, hopefully we can we can help you out with that. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. <laughs> Thank you. You must have been so excited when that book came in the mail and you took it. Were you? Did you take it to your tablecloth as soon oh, as you got it? Well, it was in a pile. You know, Amazon stays at my front door, so it was in a pile of other books. I'm like, oh, let me just go through this, open these boxes, and see what I bought. I don't remember what I ever buy from Amazon. When I opened the book, I screamed, I laughed, I cried. Um, the the joy of um, seeing like my name, my idea, you know, like come together like that. It was, it, it was my adrenaline just exploded. It was such a great feeling, Alice. Um, you know, I I can't even. Just private you know i sat it on the table my dining room table and just let it sit there on top i pulled out you know the table i didn't even unfold it i just pulled out my table, all folded up and just sat my book on top that's of it. enough to make me want to write a book I, I, <laughs> maybe i'll give it a shot it's hard to write a book so congratulations honey it was great talking to you thank you so much alice great talking to you Jennifer McCauley found the healing power of writing after she found the strength to get out of an abusive relationship. But it took a while to publish The Freight Yard Eventuality. So how long did it take? Well, I got done in 2012. I've been sitting on it for that long. (laughs) Um, I actually did self-publish something before this. I looked at it later, realized that I hated it. And I sort of, I didn't really want my relationship to go the way this did, but my ex-husband was, you know, basically the uh, main antagonist. This book was inspired by abuse. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do first person narrative. It's like from different people's perspective as I go, but it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm essentially the abused woman. What's the name of your character? Jaden McKelvey. She was married before. You didn't really find out about the details of her past till later, but she is with somebody now who she's known for a long time and should have been with all along, but they have a very complicated history. And her ex is a malignant narcissist, which was my ex-husband. That's him. But he's out for revenge. He doesn't want any woman leaving him and making him feel like he was abandoned because he needs control, you know. So um, he's pulling all these people together as allies that don't like her very much either, you know. And he has this whole plan to kind of destroy everyone in her life. Actually, the first chapter is just him talking to his kids about starting this this plan, which we later find out that they're actually they're her kids. First, he starts with trying to destroy her family. He's on her kid's side, which they don't know they're her kids. He has this whole thing all on the down low, so nobody knows. So he also goes after her present boyfriend. Not like at all because he's her boyfriend. But actually, they in the in less uh, third chapter, I think, um, they get engaged, which was interesting because he's never 
really in, into anything like that. We find out after he after he um, messes with everybody in her life, and and also she's finding out a lot of things about about him because she ends up she ends up meeting her kids again, but she doesn't know they're her kids yet. How does she not know she has children? Well, she knows she has children. She doesn't just doesn't know these kids are her kids. They were taken from her. Yeah, they were basically taken from her when she was with him. She had her kids, and then you know he was. He was a dirtbag, you know. He did a lot of drugs. He drank too much. How many kids? There's two of them, two daughters. Two, yeah. How old are they? They are 16 and 15. Okay. They don't know that she's their mom either because when she left finally, he was threatening her with a baseball bat, you know, that they kept in the, they lived in a hotel room, a motel room. She shot him in the head, you know. She got arrested. They were, there was all kinds of drug charges because of, how they were living, and um, they got taken away. His sister ended up with guardianship, and she kept trying to find them, and she couldn't. And after a while, she's just like, you know, she felt really guilty. She's like, you know what? They're probably in a way better place than they would be with me, so I'm just going to let them be happy, you know, after a few years. So that's that's why. And they were very small when that when this happened. They were like two and like 18 months. Okay. Yeah, somewhere in there. The the denouement is him luring them to a place that he bought, you know, a building because he has money from his mom who had a lawsuit that her one of her kids died in, you know, an accident. So they all have money. So he bought a place that was a little more private and he lured her there and everybody, everybody, all her people end up there. Her best friend and her kids, because they were kind of skulking around because they found out what he was up to and who they were. So everyone ends up in this apartment, in this building that he bought. Her fiance's son, who that's, you know what I mean? They're all in there and he has them all. They all sort of cycled in, you know, they didn't all get there at once. You know what I mean? All of them had a reason to come in there and try to figure out what was happening. Okay. And he and um, someone she knows that has been trying to get with her for a while because he's crazy. That's also based on someone I know. And he, But he was there too. And, you know, he was kind of backing him up and helping him out with stuff. Um, but it ends up with um, the girls have had enough of this crap. And um, the older one who is always really loyal to him has realized that he's not good she she's like i've had enough of this she goes that she has a knife she goes after him and um he has he has a knuckle blade which is what is on the cover we use that and she he stabbed her you know his own kid which is awful but i can see him doing that in real life so you know in this situation so he's like oh he tells Corey, the guy that Jaden knows he's like you know, throw throw her and um his son um jordan in the bathroom and lock the door and let's just let let her bleed out in there and then there's all kinds of you know yelling and and all of these people are are witness to this and all of these people are there and somehow it ends here nope nope okay gotta read it so what's this all mean sometimes you know what when you have bad situations in your life you can't act on them in the way that you want to because 
And you have to watch who you associate with because they're not necessarily going to be a good person and things could go south real, real quick, you know? All right. So you're feeling pretty good about this book second time around a little bit better. I mean, this has been a lot easier for me than that first one because I didn't know what I was doing. I self-published it. No, like three people bought it that I knew and you know, that was it. And it didn't go any further than that because I didn't know how to market it. I didn't know how to promote it. So it's just kind of sitting there doing nothing. So, I, you know, it's nice that I can, you know, do something with this more than that. All right. So you feel like you have a better product that you can put out there. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so much better than what I did before, you know. Okay. Does the abused woman come out victorious in this book? Yes. yes there you does. go. Just like you. Yes. As if I did, you know, and I didn't have to go through as much drama as I did in real life, but <laughs> what, that's a good thing. But it definitely inspired this whole thing. So, you know, it could have definitely gone badly more than it did, but, yeah, you know. But did it feel good to kind of get it all out there? It did. I think, I think honestly, that was my, uh, that was my process. You know what I mean? Because I went for a long time, for a long time. I was pretty damaged and um, I left, I left in 2004 in spring, you know, and uh, I took a long time getting my, my self together again, because I just, I didn't know, you know, I did, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to be, get back to being myself again, you know, because at that point I really wasn't. And that was, you know, writing this was catharsis, you know, I, it really helped so much for me to get back into myself and become better. So, yeah. That's awesome. It was like self-therapy. <laughs> well, I'm glad it, I'm glad because a yeah. lot of people say that, that the oh, yeah. writing helps them get through all kinds of stuff. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. Hope to see you back here every Saturday night at 8 p.m. or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podserve, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. <laughs>